0: Well, good evening. Last week, uh, David started a series of lessons we're going to be doing on uh, Sunday nights for a few weeks on some Old Testament characters. And uh, last week, David talked about the greatest believer in the Old Testament, and that was Abraham. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the greatest youth in the Old Testament. The greatest youth in the Old Testament. Can you think about who that may be? The greatest youth in the Old Testament. Well, if you're thinking Joseph, well, you're correct, because that's who we're going to be talking about tonight. Joseph, the greatest youth in, in the Old Testament. Clarence McCartney, uh, McCartney actually called Joseph the most Christ like man in the Old Testament. The most Christ like man in the Old Testament. And I found that uh, a, a great compliment, of course, but I also found it to be true because Joseph's story is packed full of so many things. I mean, just think about what happens to to Joseph or in the story of Joseph. There's family turmoil. There's deception. There's a famine. There's a false accusation. There's imprisonment. There's interpretation of dreams. There's a test that Joseph puts his brothers through and there's reconciliation at the end. So much happens in this story. It's from Genesis 37 to 50, just about. With 38 being a little bit of a break in the story, but Genesis 37 through 50, so much happens in this story, and through it all, Joseph stands tall. He remains faithful through everything that he went through. And that's what makes it it's so, such a compelling story, is so much is going on, but we see Joseph just keep on going and keep on going. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight, is the story of Joseph. Now again. Genesis 37 through 50, that's a lot of chapters to cover, so we can't cover everything. We're going to have to summarize some parts, but we will read uh, quite a few passages tonight. Starting in Genesis chapter 37, let's start where the story begins, kind of opens the scene for the rest of what's going to happen. Genesis 37, 1 through 3. Now Jacob, the father of Joseph and many other sons, lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob, Joseph when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. This is the beginning of the story of Joseph here, and this is, it's such an interesting way that this this starts here. Joseph's just 17 years old, hence the, the title for tonight's lesson, The Greatest Youth of the Old Testament. He's a young man here. Not, probably not even a man, really, but 17 years old. He's young. But right off the bat, we see some, some turmoil going on within the family. The, the brothers are out pasturing the flock, and Joseph is kind of like that, uh, that tattletale sibling, you know? Doesn't every family have a tattletale, Right? Um, that was my little brother Dalton. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but I think every family kind of has a, a tattletale, right? And Joseph seems to be doing that here, kind of telling on his brothers. Son. The text doesn't tell us exactly what happened, but he's bringing back a negative report of his brothers. Now, I can think about instances where my siblings may have tattletaled on me, and I did not like that, right? That's, that's not what you want. And so, really, I could see the brothers already being upset here. But then there's something interesting at the the end of the the verses here about Joseph being the favorite child. It, It literally says that Joseph loved, or Jacob loved, or Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons. So not only did Joseph bring back a negative report of his brothers, the brothers know that Joseph is the favorite because he's got this very colored tunic or this, this long tunic that Jacob has given him to show him that he's the favorite. Now, parents, if you're a parent in here, how many of you have a favorite child? Well, I was expecting at least one hand to go up, dad. Um, uh, but I, I, guess, nah, um, you don't have favorite children. You know, The answer, you know, we used to mess with with dad. I'm sure others have have messed with You know, like, I'm the favorite child, right? And the, the correct answer is always, you're all my favorite. You know, I don't have favorites. You're all my favorite child, right? That's supposed to be the answer. And Jacob has broken this rule and has a favorite child. He's showing some favoritism here. He loved Joseph more than all of his other sons. Now, again... You've got to put yourself in, in the brother's shoes here. You've been told on by your brother Joseph, and you know that he's the favorite. That's probably not going to sit well with you, right? I mean, I, I, that, won't, that wouldn't sit well with me. And so the text actually tells us exactly how the brothers feel about Joseph. So if we just continue on in the next verse, here's what it says. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him. They hated Joseph and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Joseph's brothers, did not ju- they weren't just displeased with him. It wasn't just a little bit of dislike. They hated Joseph to the point where they couldn't even say any kind words to him at all. They, they couldn't speak a kind or-, or gentle word to Joseph because they, they hated him. And we can see, again, I talked about family turmoil, there's some big turmoil here between the brothers, Joseph and his brothers. And and, and it's just, it's a really crazy start to the story that we have here. But to make matters even worse, we won't read this part here, but if we continued reading on in these chapters, Joseph begins to have dreams. And he relays these dreams to his family. Maybe not the the smartest thing to do uh, with these dreams, but... Uh, he relays these dreams to his family. And the dreams are about these sheaves of grain bowing down to him, to his sheave of grain. And then the the sun, moon, and the stars representing his family bowing down to him. And he relays these dreams to his family. And here's what the text says in in Genesis 37, verse eight and verse 11, what the brothers say in response to these dreams. His brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind, the saying about his his dreams. So the brothers hate him already for telling on him and for being the favorite child. And now he's having these dreams about them bowing down to him. And they're jealous they're, they're envious of Joseph, and they hate him even more. I, I don't know how much hate was built up for Joseph in, between these brothers. But, I mean, we're going to see something play out here. It seems like a lot. But they hate their brother. And hate is a strong word, you know. We don't just throw that term around. But they, the text says it multiple times. So I want to note some setbacks for Joseph as we go through tonight. First setback here is he's having trouble with his family. He's not on good terms with his siblings. And maybe some of you have been in that situation. Maybe not the same way here, but maybe you've had some turmoil within the family. And that's not fun. That's not fun to have uh, you know, contention between your family members. But that's what Joseph is experiencing, and he's the one receiving the hate. And, and maybe some of it was due to him and, and due to Jacob's favoritism. But nonetheless, there was still some turmoil there. And so that's the, the first setback that we we kind of see uh, with, with Joseph. So the story takes a turn to another scene. And, and what happens is the, the brothers are out uh, shepherding the flock in a, in a distant place. And so Jacob sends out Joseph to go find his brothers, to, to check on them and to bring back a report again. And, and Joseph goes out and he goes out to Shechem to try to find them. And with the help of a stranger, he says, Hey, they've moved to a place called Dothan. And so Joseph goes to Dothan to find his brothers. And let's pick up there in the text. This is Genesis 37, starting in verse 18, as Joseph is approaching. So Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 18. When they saw him from a distance, the brothers saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say, a wild beast has devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, And they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. And a minute ago, I said, I don't know how much hate was built up for Joseph between these brothers. But it seems like a lot because they were at the point where they were willing to kill their own brother. They were willing to to, to say, uh, to to kill him and cover it up and, and lie about it like a wild beast has devoured him. That's how much hate was built up for Joseph between these brothers. That's got to be a lot, a lot of hate to take someone's life, especially your own brother. But Reuben, the oldest brother, comes to the rescue, uh, and, and really a, a rescue is kind of a, not the right term here because he throws an alternate plan out there that really still puts Joseph in a lot of harm. But still, to not take his life, Reuben says, hey, let's just throw him in this pit. And so they throw Joseph in this pit, but it doesn't stop there. Continue on reading in in verses 25 to 28. Then the brothers sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Maybe Reuben has gone off at this point, but Judah, one of the other brothers, steps up and says, Hey, we're not going to make any profit off this. Why not? Why not? You know, if we kill him, we're not going to make any profit. So why not make some money off of this and, and let's just sell Joseph. You know, let's, let's make him an item and just put him up for sale. You know, we got some traders coming by. Let's make some money. And so that's exactly what they do. They sell him to some Ishmaelite traders who are going down to Egypt. Now, this is just, I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, the Joseph uh, King of Dreams movie, but if you've seen this scene in that movie, it, it really is, is so sad. Joseph is pleading with his brothers to not do this, to not sell him. And he's, he's calling them name, name by name, saying, don't do this. I'm your brother. Don't sell me. And they, they just kind of have, turn a cold shoulder to him and walk away. And, and they, they take him down to Egypt. So setback number two, Joseph is almost killed by his brothers. Instead, he's thrown into a pit. And then he's sold into, into slavery. And eventually, Joseph is sold to a man named Potiphar, who is the captain of Pharaoh's guard in Egypt. At this point, I think many people would have just thrown in the towel and said, I, I can't do this anymore. I've had this turmoil with my family. Not only that, I've been, I, I've been basically mistreated and abused by my brothers and now I've been sold? I went from a, a, son, a, a, a son that was loved most by my father, now I'm a slave? I've been, I've been treated as an item by my brothers? I don't want to do this anymore. But that's not what we see from Joseph. Joseph continues to press on, and he continues to be the best that he can be in his position. So let's look at what happens next in uh, Genesis chapter 39. Verses 1 through 6. This is Joseph now in Egypt. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about from that time, he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him, there he did not concern himself with any, anything except the food which he ate. Now I want us to take take note of the phrase that we see many times here. That the Lord was with Joseph. So much so that Potiphar, the Egyptian master, the the captain of the bodyguard, he even takes note of it. He even takes note that the the God of the universe, the real God, is with Joseph. And everything that Joseph touches, it, it becomes prosperous because God is right there with them. And so Joseph, he rises up quickly in the ranks. I mean, he goes from uh, this, this mistreated uh, brother to a, a slave in the, the captain of the bodyguard in Egypt, and he rises up quickly in this household. Now, this sets the scene for the next uh, series of events, and unfortunately, another setback for Joseph. So let's keep reading here. And again, this will be a a bit of a lengthy reading. But Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 7. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to, to us to make sport of us. He came into me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left, it, she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me. came into me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside." Just as things maybe seem to kind of be taking a a turn for maybe better, maybe Joseph is trying to make the best of his situation. He's rising up the ranks in Potiphar's household to the point that Potiphar trusts him with everything. And then Potiphar's wife is is making advances toward him. And day after day, we don't know how many days, but it seems several days, Potiphar's wife is, is making advances towards Joseph. And Joseph, being a young man... has has the ability to say no. Has the strength to say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to sin against my master. I'm not going to sin against God. I can't do this evil thing. What self-control that must have taken from Joseph to run away from that situation. And that's exactly what happened. He literally fled. He ran away so much so that the garment that, that Potiphar's wife presumably grabbed onto, ripped off, and she kept it and she used that as her evidence that Joseph was really the one that was making advances towards her. And so Joseph is falsely accused. He, he's, he's basically seen as, as someone who's trying to make sport of, of her, is what Potiphar's wife says. And so Joseph is, is kind of is punished for really doing the right thing. He did what was right, and yet he's, he still got in trouble. Because Potiphar's wife basically puts up this scam of a story. But what, what I've always wondered, and I wasn't the one who came up with this, I've wondered why wasn't Joseph just killed? You know, it seems that, you know, if, if, the, if Potiphar believed the story to be true from his wife, why didn't, why didn't Potiphar just have Joseph killed? Because that seems like a, an offense that would be, you know, worthy of death in, in the mind of Potiphar. To me, I wonder if Potiphar had some, maybe some questions with his wife's story. Or maybe he just simply loved Joseph that much or trusted Joseph enough that he didn't really want to get rid of him. But nonetheless, um, Joseph faces this setback. And he's falsely accused. So that's the the next setback. He's falsely accused. and, And it basically takes a shot at his character. But he's also imprisoned. And Joseph is thrown into the prison for a lengthy amount of time. For the lack of time here tonight, we're going to summarize the, a lot of the story here because we're, we're running out of time and there's just so much to, to cover. But Joseph is thrown in prison. And while he's in prison, he meets two men. He meets the, the cupbearer of, of Pharaoh and the, the chief baker. And he meets these two guys and, and over time they have these dreams. And Joseph interprets these dreams for these two guys correctly. He, he correctly interprets that the cupbearer will be restored to his position as the cupbearer and the baker is going to be killed. And that's exactly what happens. And Joseph tells them, hey, remember me. Remember me that I interpreted your dreams right. Tell them that, that I did this and remember me. But the cupbearer doesn't remember what Joseph had done. And two years passed, the text says. Joseph's in there for two years, at least, in the prison And finally, Pharaoh starts to have his own dreams. Pharaoh's having these dreams that are disturbing him. And so he's trying to figure out what's happening. It's about these these, uh, cows and these these pieces of grain, these sheaves of grain. And and basically, he he can't figure out what's going on. And he's trying to find somebody to interpret them. And the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And so Joseph is, is cleaned up, and he's brought before Pharaoh, and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams for him. And and basically, the the dreams were that for seven years, there was going to be plenty. There's going to be plenty of harvest and plenty of gathering of crops. But after those seven years, there were going to be seven years of famine, and it was going to be a bad famine. There was going to be nothing that the the Egyptians could gather in at harvest. And so Joseph comes up with this great plan to store up a, a ton of grain and a ton of food during the seven years of plenty. That way, when the seven years of famine came... They could have food stored up, and they could give it and and eat it during those seven years of of famine. And so because of that, Pharaoh rises up Joseph. He goes from uh, the jail all the way up to second in command in Egypt. Man, what a rise. What a a story of ups and downs. But Joseph is made second in command only to Pharaoh. And so Joseph is is in a, a really good position here. But that's where the story gets really interesting Joseph's family is suffering from this famine as well when the seven years of of famine come. And Jacob tells his sons, hey, you've got to go to Egypt and get us some food or or we're going to die. And so Joseph's brothers go and Joseph recognizes his brothers. And they don't recognize him because Joseph likely is wearing Egyptian attire. He's likely speaking Egyptian. And so they don't recognize uh, Joseph, but he recognizes them. And we won't go through everything that happens here, but basically Joseph puts his brothers through these series of tests. And it really involves the, the youngest brother, Benjamin. And eventually, the, I mean, just it's a crazy story that unfolds. But eventually what happens, Joseph does reveal himself to his brothers in one of the most touching scenes that we have here in, in the Old Testament. I do want to pick up there and read that. When Joseph, after these tests he put them through... And they were really tough on the brothers. He reveals himself to his brothers. And it's in Genesis chapter 45, starting in verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out for me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard, it, heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth. And to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all this, his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. I find this so interesting because Joseph could have had his brothers killed. I mean, he could have really, really uh, ramped it up and really hurt them. But he has such an amazing perspective. Notice he says, it's not you that sent me here. It's, it, God was involved all along. What amazing perspective that Joseph had here. So from, from Joseph's perspective, it wasn't his brother selling him. It was God preparing him, being with him to, to save thousands of lives from this famine. That's why he was in Egypt, not because of what his brothers had done to him. What a beautiful, beautiful perspective. Now, covering Joseph's story, I do want to look at some lessons that we can learn from him as we close up here. Number one, Joseph remained faithful to God through the difficult times. And might I add, Joseph remained faithful to God through everything. We noted Joseph's setbacks throughout the lesson. He was hated by his brothers. He was stripped of his robes, thrown in a pit. His brothers actually made a plan to even kill him. He was sold to Ishmaelite traitors by his brothers and then sold to Potiphar as a slave. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He was imprisoned wrongly. And even though Joseph went through all of these things, he continued on. He pressed on and he did his best in every situation he found himself in. And we know Joseph stayed faithful to God because we read that God remained with him. God was with Joseph throughout it all. And we always see Joseph doing the right thing. Many of you have been here, in here, have been through some really tough situations. Maybe, and, and many times when we go through difficult times, it seems that things are piling up back to back to back. It's like, when am I going to catch a break? And just maybe when things seem to be getting better, like, like Joseph, maybe sometimes we're getting better, things just take a, take a turn for the worst, right? Maybe you've been there before, but we can look at Joseph and see he's been there and done that. He was there and he withstood the storm and God remained with him and he believed God was with him. And I believe that's what got him through it. I want to read a, a verse from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says this, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter writes to the brethren who are are struggling, who are undergoing uh, some suffering, some persecution. And, And he tells them, notice, after you have suffered a little while, that's when God's going to perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's through suffering that we can grow, that we can become better. And that's not to downplay anybody's struggles because everybody's struggles are legitimate and, and, and I know some of you have been through some tough things. But during those times and after those times, that's when God is, is strengthening us. He's building us up. And I think that's a, it fits Joseph perfectly. That he went through all of these setbacks. But after it, after these setbacks, God is strengthening him. He's confirming Joseph. He's establishing Joseph. And he remains steadfast through it all. And I think it's the same for us. God's with us there in that struggle He's going to strengthen us. He's going to establish us if we can remain steadfast. That's the first thing. Second thing, Joseph forgave even after his brothers treated him harshly. Joseph forgave even after his brothers treated him harshly. You know, it would be really, really hard to forgive somebody who wanted to kill you, who threw you in a pit, and then ultimately sold you, and then made up a story to cover it all up to your father. That would be really hard to forgive. And many people would hold a grudge forever because of, because of that. And Joseph could have. He could have taken his anger out on his brothers and had them killed like I mentioned. And yes, he did put them through, a, through these series of tests that we, we talked about. But Joseph could have done a lot worse. And in the end, he forgave his brothers. He let it go. Most people would never let something like that go, and they'd hold a grudge. And you know what? I just want to add this very quickly. I feel like that's a problem that we have within our country right now. We've, we've lost the ability to forgive people. You know, I've heard that the, the country is called a, the, the country of second chances, and that's happened many times. People get second chances. But now I feel like with the advent of news and social media, people are trying to dig up things in people's past and bring them back up. We're trying to find dirt on people and, and ruin their careers and hurt people and damage their reputations. And we can go over example after example. And instead of forgiving one another, we're trying to harp on people's mistakes. And, and again, there's no excuse for sin or for mistakes, but we have to forgive one another. And that's not my words. That's the Bible. Remember in, in Matthew chapter 18 when Peter asked how many times that he was supposed to give, forgive his brother who sinned against him? What'd Jesus say? Well, in Matthew 18, he says this. Up to seven times seven. Or up to seven times, uh, Peter says, up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Jesus is basically saying, how many times do you need to forgive your brother? As many times as it takes. You forgive. And the reason why is because you've been forgiven. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable we won't talk about uh, much here, but he goes to tell the parable of the unforgiving servant, of the servant who was forgiven this massive debt, but then he went out and wouldn't forgive a fellow servant who owed him very little compared to his debt. And the point is that because we have been forgiven much, we must forgive one another. And Joseph did that. He forgave. Even though maybe his brothers didn't deserve it, he still let it go. He forgave his brothers. And I want to also say the words forgive and forget are not in the scripture. I know people say that a lot. And it's a good, a good sentiment, I believe. But forgiving somebody doesn't mean that you forget what happened. Doesn't mean that you just wipe it out from your memory. We don't have a delete button in our memories. What it does mean is you're not going to keep bringing that up. You're not going to keep holding that over somebody's head. You're not going to hang it over them. You're going to let it go. And it, the pain may still be there. But you're going to let that go. And, and maybe tonight you, may, you need to forgive somebody. I don't know. But this is amazing forgiveness that we see from Joseph. Last point here, and, and I won't stick too long on this because I know we're running out of time. Joseph believed in the providence of God. Joseph believed in the providence of God, and I hope you do too. I want to read, uh, skip the, the, the Genesis 45 verse that we have here on the screen and go to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Joseph says this. As for you, he's talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Joseph's brothers were scared that he may react to them after Joseph died, after Jacob died, their father. And Joseph says, listen, you meant evil against me. You meant harm against me. But you know what? God meant it for good. God was working all along in everything that was happening. While I was in Egypt, God was was working this out so that I could provide a deliverance for many, many people, including you, my family. And so Joseph saw God's hand throughout everything. And Joseph believed that God was going to work things out in the end. And it reminds me of Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose does not mean that life is going to be perfect, that we won't have setbacks, but it does mean that in the end, we win. And that all along, God is working things out for his people if we remain steadfast, if we love him and are faithful to him. God is always working, and it's his providence that is is at work. And maybe we can't always see that. Maybe we always don't understand it, but God is working in our lives in some way. And Joseph believed in that. It's such a powerful thing. There's many other things that we could point out about Joseph, but I hope that one of these points uh, stuck with you. One of these points stuck with you. But I want to go back to the point that Joseph was the most Christ-like character in the Old Testament, as, as Clarence McCartney point, pointed out. And he was most Christ-like because of his decisions, because of remaining faithful to God, because of his, his actions, And we can see a lot of similarities from Jesus' story and Joseph's story. But the the greatest similarity is their faithfulness to God. Tonight, maybe you're struggling in that that area with your faith. You're struggling and you want to be more like Joseph. Maybe you you need to forgive. Maybe you haven't been trusting in in God's providence. Maybe, Maybe you haven't been faithful through those difficult times. If you need some help tonight, we'd love to pray with you and for you. And if you'd like to become a Christian tonight, we'd love to help you. We'd love to baptize you into Jesus Christ. If you have any need tonight, please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.